Jesus, we ask that you would please use what you say to us in the Bible to help us be more the church that you want us to be. We ask this in your name. Amen. A while back, I had a dream that I was leading a Bible study for men, and in my dream, we decided that we were too tame as middle-class Christians, and we wanted to be like the men of the Bible and do something bold and daring and dangerous for God, so we decided to conquer Italy. (laughs) Don't ask me why. It was there. But then we started to study the decision, so obviously it's a Presbyterian dream, And after studying it, we decided that we really only had time to eat spaghetti at an Italian restaurant, mess up the tablecloth, and take some prayer requests. I have no clue what that dream says about me, but I think it's a good image of what happens to some churches. You know, I read through the Bible, and I get this picture of this daring, risk-taking, bold, radically welcoming, crazy community of people called the church... And then I think of what at least the stereotype of church is. The stereotype of church is this safe, comfortable, kind of boring place for nice people. You know, sort of Mr. Rogers, only not as wild. (laughs) Now, one of the things I love about this church is that you all aren't like that. I mean, I admit that when you first hear the name First Presbyterian Church of Bellevue, Your first thought isn't exactly, whoa, lock the doors, the Bellevue Presbyterians are on the loose, right? But when you look at what we've done, coffee houses for drug addicts marching into the jungles of Guatemala to adopt a village, just yesterday our youth went down to help fix up this house I told you about earlier, you realize this ain't your grandma's church either. There are radicals in our midst, and you are they, them, whatever the word would be. (laughs) Which is, I think, how it should be. Let me read to you from what's called the Presbyterian Book of Order. Doesn't that sound like a hootenanny? (laughs) It is the rule book governing the Presbyterian Church, and as you can see, it's very thick, lots of rules, more about penguins in this book than you'll ever want to know, and some of the best theology ever written. And it says that the church is called to be assigned to the world of the new reality made available in Jesus. That sins are forgiven, the dividing wall of hostility is torn down, and that the needs of the poor and the oppressed are being met. And then it says that the church is the provisional demonstration of what God intends for all humanity. The provisional demonstration of what God intends for all humanity. And what that means is that when people look at us here at First Press Bellevue, when they listen to us talk, when they see what we do, when people look at us, they're supposed to say, oh... So that's what God intends for all humanity. Kind of puts hair on your chest, doesn't it? It's a bold vision. And then it goes on to say that the church is called to undertake this mission even at the risk of losing its own life, trusting in God alone as the author and giver of life. Those lines get me out of bed every morning. This crazy vision that Jesus had that there could be a community of people who live life so against the grain, so for him, for each other, and for the world, that the kingdom of this world would become the kingdom of God. And that's what we're talking about this fall. The kingdom of God. How do we make up there, come down here, in me, my church, and my world? 
And today I want to talk about what happens when up there comes down here in a church, in this church. And the story that Rich read gives us some clues. It says that these 3,000 or so people who formed the first church, about the size that we are actually, these people devoted themselves to a couple of things. And that word devoted is important. It doesn't say that they sort of dabbled in a few things or had warm feelings about some things. They devoted themselves to a couple of things. And the first is this. They devoted themselves to Jesus and his forgiveness. The first church wasn't formed because a bunch of people got together and said, I know, let's start a club where everybody comes together to sing their favorite songs, get talked at for 20 minutes, if they're lucky, engage in abstract theological arguments, and receive weekly moralizing judgmental statements on how to live life. And the fee for these services will be 10% off the top of everything they earn. Nobody said that. The church began... Because a bunch of people had their lives turned upside down by the character-changing, barrier-breaking, relentlessly pursuing, never giving up on, there is nobody too bad for I choose you, love and forgiveness of Jesus. And when they experienced him and his forgiveness, they devoted themselves to following him with their head, their hearts, their hands, and their habits, to studying his word, to caring for each other in the world. A kingdom church is devoted to Jesus. The second thing a kingdom church is devoted to is deeply knowing and loving each other. The story says that these people were together every day, worshiping, supporting each other, doing life together. We need each other to keep our faith alive. It's, it's a little bit like my barbecue technique. This will relate, trust me. In our house, I'm in charge of fire management. All fire management is mine. That includes the barbecue. And to light it, I like to put all the coals really closely together, just as close as possible, douse it with half a bottle of lighter fluid, (laughs) then drop the match in and watch it explode. It's really cool. I know I need therapy, but we're working on that. But if the coals are too far apart, even after they've been lit, they go out. And that's why we need each other. It's the same in our faith. If we aren't together, we'll go out. That's why these Christians met every single day. We need a small group of Christians around us that we do life with, not just see once a week, but that we do life with. And more than that, we need to really know each other beyond the facade. In the Greek, it says that these Christians came together with sincere hearts. And that word sincere comes from Roman times. When potters used to put wax on their pots to cover over the cracks and the flaws in the pot. But an honest potter would stamp his pot, sin Sarah, which means without wax. What you see is what you get. We need to have without wax relationships. Relationships where we don't cover over our faults and flaws, but where we're honest with each other. You know, often I'll be counseling someone about some sin, some fear, some problem they have. And they'll say, you know what, if people in this church knew what I was really struggling with, why they'd... And they never finish the sentence, but it always sounds really ominous. And the tragedy is, I can usually think of two or three other people, at least in this church, who are struggling with the same issue. And I think, ah, if we could just, if we could just stop pretending to have it all together, just stop waxing over our flaws and our faults, well, then we could get on with the business of praying for each other 
and supporting each other and encouraging each other and helping each other to grow to be the people that we were meant to be. And then know the freedom that comes from being fully known and fully loved still. Because the truth is we're all messed up. We all need Jesus. We all have our problems. So who can judge anyone else? In a kingdom church, people don't judge. They're deeply devoted to truly knowing and loving each other. The third thing a kingdom church is devoted to is supporting each other. These first Christians would sell some of their possessions to help others out when they had a need. And again, one of the great things about this church is I see similar things happen. Many, many of you have given sacrificially to help other people, both in and outside this church. Last year, we had some people who helped pay for a soldier from Iraq to be reunited with his family. Just a simple example. A while back, I was working with a family who'd experienced a death, and they were so swamped with people offering to make meals and run errands and babysit, even clean their house, they finally had to say, enough, stop caring. We can't handle any more caring. What a great church. A kingdom church is devoted to Jesus and his forgiveness, to deeply knowing and loving each other, to supporting each other, and to doing these things in spite of our differences. What's fascinating about this first group of Christians is the text tells us that they, were, they came from all over the known world. They were different races, different languages, different cultures. That's what happens in a kingdom church. People of different races, different political ideologies, different economic levels, they come together. Even, can you imagine it, people with different taste in music. Can you imagine it? I mean, even people who are truly and really hopelessly lost and like country music, they're included too. We just do special intervention for those people to help them out. <laughs> Support groups and everything. My name is Scott and I like country music. Christian community is a place where people who have no reason to get along do. Because what holds them together is their common need for the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. And nobody's better and they know that. And where things like race and politics and musical taste are petty and insignificant compared to who Jesus is and what he's doing in us. In every authentic Christian community, there will be people who are different than we are, who rub us the wrong way, who are difficult. So if you have a difficult person in your Bible study or in this church, congratulations, you're an authentic Christian community. And if you don't have a difficult person in your Christian community, let one of the pastors know and we'll assign somebody to you. Maybe one of the pastors. (laughs) And if you don't have a Christian community, find one. Find a Bible study. We can help you with that. Join a service group like teaching Sunday school or helping with the youth or tutoring for kid reach. Join a fellowship group like senior adult fellowships or young adults or Red Hat Society. When up there comes down here, people devote themselves to Jesus and his forgiveness to deeply knowing and loving each other, to supporting each other in spite of their differences, and then finally, a kingdom church is devoted to the world out there. And we're going to talk more about that next week, but I just wanted to put it on the agenda because that's an important piece of being a kingdom church. A kingdom church is devoted to Jesus, each other, and to the world. And in a culture where we constantly have to prove our net worth where we feel like we're never a good enough employee, student, spouse, parent, or child, a group of people who say, you know what, that's not true. 
Every sin you've sinned, every mistake you've made has been blotted out. They don't define you. They're behind you. God has buried them on the ocean floor. That's a counterculture group of people. I mean, just try that out on your boss someday, right? You make a big mistake at work. Hey, boss, it's been blotted out. No problem, right? It's counterculture. And in an east side culture that we live in where keeping up appearances is so important that you're afraid to so much as let your lawn get a little brown in the summer, let alone let your sin show, a group of people who love each other enough to be completely open, honest, and vulnerable without judgment, that's a radical group of people. And a group of people that loves each other so much that when one of their members has a need, they say, here, take my car, I don't need it, or I'll scale back my vacation to help you out, that's different. And a group of people who does all of that, even for the people outside their walls, well, that's a radical, out-of-the-box, dangerous community of people, and that's a church I'd want to join. I have a friend who a long time ago was in a relationship with an abusive boyfriend. And she ended up getting pregnant out of wedlock, but had a miscarriage. And after that, she moved in with her boyfriend's parents and turned out her boyfriend's mom was also being abused by her husband. The boyfriend's mom was a Christian, so she said to my friend, you know what, my husband is your boyfriend's dad. And if you're not careful, what's happening to me is going to happen to you. You need to get out. But she stayed with her boyfriend, ended up getting pregnant again, and her boyfriend kept abusing her, So eventually she left. And after she left, she ended up getting involved in this church where there were a lot of young people. And in this church, there was a group of six guys who were really close friends. They had without wax relationships. They called themselves the Brotherhood. And they sort of adopted her as their sister. And they started taking her out on dates just as friends, purely platonic. And they'd take her to a nice dinner and they'd treat her like a lady. And then at the end, they'd say, this is how you deserve to be treated by a man. This is how you should be treated. Meanwhile, they found a couple in the same church who wanted to adopt a baby. So when my friend had her baby, she gave it to those people. And now they send her pictures and letters just so that she can keep track a little bit of what happened to that child. And all of that changed her life. She decided that she rather liked that kind of community, go figure, and the Jesus that was behind it all. And she went on to volunteer with high school students to help them find Jesus and to avoid some of her mistakes. And now she's married to a great Christian guy who treats her right. They've got three great kids. And yeah, they've got problems like every couple, but hers is a life that has been dramatically transformed because there was a community of people out there who were devoted to Jesus and his forgiveness, to deeply knowing and loving each other without judgment, to supporting each other in spite of our differences, and to, and to devote it to that big, messy world out there that God loves so much. They didn't judge her, but they also didn't let her continue in a lifestyle that was dangerous and destructive. Instead, they loved her, they graced her, and that changed her. That's the kind of thing that happens when up there comes down here in a church. So if you're not in that kind of Christian community, I want to encourage you to find that. And for all of us, how can we together make this church even more of a kingdom church than it already is? By devoting ourselves to Jesus, to deeply knowing and loving each other, to supporting each other in spite of our differences, and devoting ourselves to that world out there. You know, the reason I do this job is because I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. I don't think it's going to be government. 
I don't think it's going to be a nonprofit. It's not a social servants agency. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. Because in a world where people are racked with guilt and feel insecure and like they constantly have to prove their worth, only the church has the life-changing, liberating message that our worth is guaranteed by the fact that the God of the universe loved us enough to die for us. And in a world where people are lonely and isolated, only the church gives people a reason to be honest and vulnerable and open without fear because we're all sinners and we all need Christ's grace, so who's the judge? And only the church gives us the power to support each other and to care for each other and to serve the world even at the risk of losing it all. Who cares if we lose it all? Just a few more weary days and then we'll all be with him. 2,000 years ago, there was a community of people so radical that they changed the world. There was a community where a fire-breathing murderer named Saul was so changed by the forgiveness of Jesus that he became Paul and preached the love and grace of God all around the world. There was a community of people where a wealthy man named Joseph who just piled up more and more and more wealth was so transformed, he became such an extravagant lover of people they gave him a new name, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. There was a community where people who had hated each other for centuries, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, started to love each other so much that they began to sell their possessions to care for each other. And the walls of racism and sexism and hatred began to come down. Whether or not you believe the Bible's real, historians all agree that much really did happen. There was once a community of people where if you told them to be quiet, they kept spreading the message. Throw them into prison, they'd convert the jailer. Whip them, they'd sing hymns. Starve them, they'd share what little bit they had with those around them. Persecute them, they'd be filled with joy that they were counted worthy to suffer for the sake of Jesus. Hate them, they'd love you back. Exclude them out, they'd invite you in. Kill them and a hundred more would rise to take their place. How do you stop people like that? (laughs) You can't. It's impossible. And that's the point. A long time ago, there was a community that turned the world upside down. And that can happen again when up there comes down here in my church. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my church. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that we are, this, the church is the apple of your eye. And you love us. And Lord, we pray for this particular congregation. Lord, thank you for all the ways you have led us to be a kingdom church so far. And Lord, we pray for all the ways that you will lead us in the future to be more and more of that kingdom church that you call us to be. Lord, through your power, we know we can do this and we'll give you all the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus.